Hello from Melbourne, Australia again, and welcome to episode two of When Movies Were Good, hosted by Rachel and a very good friend of mine, Matt. We appreciate you being here today, or rather tonight, or wherever you are in your time zone when you're listening to this. And I thought we'd just go straight into our delightful duo this week, the two films that we will be discussing, Matt and I will be discussing, is The Adventures of Robin Hood, uh, 1938 Technicolor swashbuckler film starring Olivia de Havilland and Errol Flynn. And then, of course, uh, our second film that we will be discussing is the 1940 Alfred Hitchcock classic Rebecca, uh, starring Olivia's sister, the great Joan Fontaine, and also Sir Laurence Olivier. So, Matt, I'll just give you a bit of background into these films, which I know that you're well aware of. Both of us have watched them recently. I know you're a big fan of Rebecca. Oh, yes. Yes, I know. You mentioned that you've seen it many times, and both of us have just recently seen uh, Robin Hood. So Robin Hood, uh, The Adventures of Robin Hood, of course, is based on the very famous fables of, of Robin Hood, and actually Douglas Fairbanks was one of the first actors to play him in Hollywood anyway. So this film came out in 1938. It did star Olivia de Havilland and Errol Flynn. It also starred Basil Rathbone and Claude Rains as well, who I barely recognised in this film until I saw the credits. I was like, wow, is that Claude Rains? I'm, I'm too used to seeing him as Phantom of the Opera or something, or something <laughs> like that. Um, and it was du- directed by two people, Michael Curtis and William Kiley. And the screenplay was done by three people, uh, Norman Riley Rain, Sexton Miller and Rowland Lee. So this was really um, a breakout film for, I mean, Errol Flynn and Olivia de Havilland had already worked together a few times before, but this film really was a breakout for her sort of stepping up into that leading lady and it just kind of cemented Errol Flynn as the the star of the swashbuckler film. Um, and he went, both of them went further in his career and unfortunately Errol had a few issues, you know, going on. So what were your mm-hmm. thoughts about this film? I mean, obviously the Technicolor aspect would be of interest to you oh yeah well uh the favorite part for me without a doubt is very early when um the prince john spills a goblet of wine and we see this red beautiful red liquid pouring onto the floor and that nice technicolor so obviously representing blood it was like saying haha senses you got a problem with wine. We know you think it's blood, but you can't do anything about it. Yeah, that's my my favorite bit. Uh, it's uh, such a great use of color, and like the story is absolutely great. There's no use getting it all into um the historical anomalies. Yes. If anything, it's not even really so much the fables of Robin Hood. It's about. It's more like the sort of um, Victorian age myth-making based on the myth of Robin Hood almost, a lot of the uh, caricatures. Mm. And the way they use the colour, it like so often in the medieval period we associated with this dark, sinister aspect, sort of Baldrick and the Monty Python people shouting, bring out your dead. <laughs> but there could be so much colour as well. And... Like, I love uh, medieval manuscripts, the illuminated Bibles and prayer books with all these colourful illustrations that had this often uh, wacky sense of humour. And so that bright technicolour Robin Hood picture, it really captures some of that um, 
sort of illuminated cartoon quality of the Middle Ages that many people have forgotten. Yeah, I mean, it was shot all in, in California, all around California, actually up near where the Kardashians live in Calabasas, right around that sort of area going out towards Malibu. So, I mean, back then there wouldn't have been many homes or anything out there, and yet they really managed to, the production design on the film was was absolutely beautiful. And up until that time, it was the most expensive Warner Brothers film that they'd ever made, and I think that shows. Well, definitely. I mean, colour technology at that time in itself was the most expensive thing you could do it was so effectively you had to have three cameras in one because you needed to have a three strip color process uh, capturing simultaneously which had to be uh, then um placed together in the in the lab afterwards and technicolor cameras they notoriously needed huge amounts of light um right. And that's uh, especially why uh, you can you hear about a, a lot of this in the Wizard of Oz as well. The characters were so much sweltering under the, under those high spotlights. I uh, see. So in this in the sets indoors, like say for example in the castle, they would have needed to have a lot of like artificial light to light that set to get the. Oh yeah, it wasn't. Um, of course, it looks um, very artificial and stylized. But that's as much for technological reasons as it was for creative uh, reasons. Um, a little bit of a side note of uh, what you were saying about the Kardashians living location and not many people <laughs> around there. Actually, there are photos of um, California on the beaches, which are now such heavy tourist hotspots, but there are actually pictures in the 1920s of wild cattle just moving yeah. casually along the beach lines. Yeah, it so, really, um, it I, really I just is. had to mention that. Yeah, no, it's um, uh, it's really an interesting place, and I suppose it was kind of their playground. I guess I mean all of the sort of Warner Brothers and all that they haven't really actually changed too much with their actual locations within Hollywood and and the other parts of Los Angeles. But all these sort of shots that they were able to do in Pasadena and other sorts of places, yeah, there's just no chance that they would be able to do to do them now. So what did you think of the actors in this film? What did you think of, um, well, a lot of people erroneously called Errol Flynn Irish when he first went to America, but we know that he was born in Tasmania and then had sort of start, had actually started his acting career here and then managed to go over to the US. Well, it's interesting how uh, exotic a backgrounds uh, some stars uh, from this period um, could have. I mean, after all, uh, Vivian Lee, she was born in a colonial India, so it's a yes. quite a clash of worlds to see um, then going uh, to to Sherwood Forest or to Tara. Uh, yes. Yeah, but um, I think the uh, you can definitely tell why Errol Flynn has um, epitomized the tradition of Robin Hood for so long. Um, I'm still um uh, waiting to see uh kevin costner just for the <laughs> sake of a few laughs in that role as well and uh, i never i never saw that one with carrie elways in it either the men in tights is that mel mel blanks one mel brooks sorry not blanks a voice character oh, well, actor, um, yeah uh, that's a uh a very clear spoof of the uh errol flynn robin hood tradition and um you already get a sample of that in the Disney animated film they made a few decades afterwards. I think as far as the uh, most um, 
convincing um, acting. I could definitely, uh, perhaps because it's uh, he's such an evil character, you um, you you don't mind him indulging a bit of the uh, hyperbole theatrics. But I love Claude Rains. Rains. Now, of course, Olivia de Havilland is a stunning presence, um, and she. Well, Hollywood was a never mind what happened behind the camera, but um, Hollywood was yes. a dream spot uh, for um, uh, good female presence um, in front of the camera to have these strong, vibrant characters. Uh, and um, Olivia de Havilland uh, uh, had it's a complete opposite to what she did in Gone with the Wind, sort of the shy, sickly person. She was a uh, a much more assertive. Yeah, well, she did say, um, I was reading some interviews with her and she said she really did fight to get more character-driven roles. I mean, they saw her as sort of an ingenue, um, I guess, as her sister as well. They were very similar in appearance. And she said she really sought out and fought to get different roles. And some of her roles, I'm actually curious to see some of the other films I was reading about that she was in, particularly the ones she won her Academy Awards for, um, because she actually wanted the part in Gone with the Wind. Most actresses wanted the Vivian Lee's role, the Scarlett O'Hara role, but she didn't want that. She actually did want, it's Melanie, isn't it? Is my memory is it's Melanie? Is it Melanie? I believe it is. In Gone, so. yeah, in Gone with the Wind. She actually wanted that role because she felt that that was more of a a character driven role. So yeah, but as you said, it does roughly follow sort of the pl- plot line of Prince John. So Claude Rains's character takes over the throne basically from uh, his brother Richard the Lionheart. It sort of usurps his position, and then Robin Hood and his band of men try to take up the quest to restore him to the throne, which they, well, they not to give the ending away, but they sort of do. So, and of course, Maid Marian, I guess, is sort of Prince John's ward or someone in the, the castle, and then she kind of joins with them. So there's a lot of great fight scenes um, and just some of the scenes, that the outdoor feast that they were having, do you remember that scene? That was just beautiful. Like, uh, Yeah, it's, um, yeah. they just delighted in the sort of colourful gluttony. Yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> It was, yeah, it's, it was beautiful. It's funny because when you think of it, it's um, uh, kind of a bit hard to make large chunks of meat look glamorous. Yes, yes. It, yeah, the whole thing, I just thought that oh, that was probably one of my favourite sequences of the film. And, of course, the film was nominated for Best Picture but didn't win. Uh, but it did win for art direction, editing, and that wonderful score. I'm probably going to massacre his name by Eric Corn gold. I was going to say cornflakes, but no, I think it's <laughs> I think it's corn gold. So, um, so what? So, what say you? What was your? Did you like the film? Was it just sort of standard fare for you? Oh, I think the uh, film's amazing. Um, it's. Uh, I, I do wish though, in the sword fighting scenes, even for um that time, they could have made a more convincing sound because it sounds like they're hitting spoons together. Yeah. Uh, very sort of tinny swords um but and that partially led to a bit of a illusion about medieval fighting which i think pervaded even a few years later when Lawrence olivia did his famous movie of movie of henry v mm-hmm. and you had all these uh, strange pictures of knights being hoisted by cranes onto horses and stuff and it's a bit of a myth because i uh, used to um study up on a uh, period weapons quite a bit and 
armor could actually be quite uh, uh, adaptable to your movement when it had to be, and at the same time, swords. Like, rapiers, uh, which are the kind that we see uh, in Renaissance fighting, in, mm. in Robin Hood, they're meant to be more broadswords, but they could uh, do some serious damage uh, even to um, armor, and so uh, you'd want to hear a bit more of a clunk but then I suppose they did want it to be a bit more um, rhythmic. It's yeah. almost like a, it's the whole um, clickety clacking of the swords is a bit more like a, almost a light percussion ensemble. Yeah, no, I mean, I did enjoy those sword fights, but they were they were quite entertaining. And look, I just thought the film was a beautiful film and it's just a, a throwback to a completely different time and you just especially, don't see stuff um, like that, that without... Especially that big shadow of the two of them appearing on the column in the sword fight. Oh, yeah. Great. Yeah, no, I thought it was, I really enjoyed it. And it was, you know, it was interesting. It, I mean, the script was serviceable and it worked really well. Uh, and I just, yeah, I thought Errol was fantastic and I thought Olivia was absolutely stunning. So if we move over to Olivia's sister, Joan, who yeah. basically burst onto the scene at a very similar time um, to Olivia. She was 18 months younger. So they really came up together, although Olivia sort of made her, um, she went to Warner and I believe Joan went to RKO. Um, she went over there. So now Rebecca is interesting to us because we're Alfred Hitchcock fans and that was his oh, yeah. first American film. So that this one was made in 1940 and it was produced by David O. Selznick, who was at the time working on or finishing up Gone with the Wind. So he had a lot going on with what he was up to. But um, the interesting thing about this project was that Alfred Hitchcock had done his own treatment of Daphne du Maurier's uh, novel. I hope I've pronounced that right. But yes. David O. Selznick saw it, saw his treatment, was like, no, we bought the rights to that novel and we're going to make that novel. So they ended up getting uh, a few other. So the, the script was written by Robert E. Sherwood and Joan Harrison, as we had just said, it was Hitch's first American project and it was based off the novel. So the cinematographer was George Barnes and the music was done by one of, I didn't realise how much music of this gentleman I knew, which was Franz Waxman. I didn't yeah. realise he'd done Sunset Boulevard, he'd done, you know, Taris Bulba, a lot of these other films that I'm, I know of or I'm familiar with. Uh, and it did win the Academy Award for Best Picture uh, and Best Cinematography. Uh, and that was the only one that he won, you think, of Hitch's other films. And that was the only one he won the Academy Award for. Well, technically, Hitch didn't win the Academy Award for that. And uh, this uh, he went into detail with when he was doing his long interviews with Francois Truffaut a couple of decades later. Um, that was the best picture Oscar that the film won. And so that went to David O. Selznick, the producer, um, not to Hitchcock personally. All so um, oh, right. So I Hitchcock guess never, yeah, he never personally won an Oscar, although he did get three uh, nominations. Always the bridesmaid, never the bride, <laughs> he used to say. Yes. Uh, and it's actually interesting um, that to look at, um, because that's not really his first American production, not in a full independent capacity. It was a much more of a fused relationship between him and Selznick, um, because there was quite a bit of a power struggle in that film. Hitchcock mm -hmm. was just not used to how American producers worked when he first arrived. Back in um, England, the producers in a company were much more like the sponsors of an opera company or a theatre company where their influence was much more in um, the financial sector. They'd occasionally make visits 
right. onto Seth. Lot hands off sort of thing. Uh, yes, whereas in America, America particularly, Selznick, uh, who was, uh, as I understand it, uh, a wannabe writer, and he just ended up being a very wealthy producer instead. Poor guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, what the trials trouble. and tribulations. Of- <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you could say it certainly looks that way. So a young woman, and we, we never actually know her name. It's just the second Mrs. De Winter, isn't it? We never actually know her name in this film. So this is Joan's character, who's married to, um, who who's married to Sir Lawrence Olivier in this film. So a young woman marries an older widower, and moves to his large and dark mansion. And there she discovers, or tries to discover, the secrets and lies of his um, of his the mansion, and then of his very often mentioned first wife Rebecca, and all the machinations of the people that live in the house. So, what are your what's your feelings on this film, Matt? Do you like it, or I know? Um, well, I can't tell if um, there's a bit of a freeze on the screen, so my apologies if what I'm saying now doesn't get heard. But I'll just keep going. So, yeah, I I do love that movie very much. It's uh. Obviously, a very Freudian film, uh, especially um, you can tell that there's this hint at a. Uh, it's hard to tell how literal Hitchcock was thinking about. You can tell that this sort of um, uh, contradictory um, relationship between Mrs. De Winter, the ho- the housekeeper, the later the late um, Mrs. Um, uh, the later Mrs. Olivia and um, uh, That's okay. we're just having a few technical difficulties here because we're yes, recording uh, this remotely. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, we can't wait till post COVID nineteen. That's okay. It, we'll leave it in for posterity. That's fine. So you were saying that you um, thought it was quite a Freudian film. Yes. Well, um, I think um, that uh, part where they're in. Uh, Mrs. De Winter's bedroom, and yep. uh, when she's holding up the night the silk the nightgown and says, "Look, you can see my hand." Uh, right. That was that was um. <laughs> uh, Hitchcock did have fun with the senses when he could. Yeah, uh, well, I absolutely um, before we get back to Joan in this film, and I thought Joan was great, and. Uh, I did like Florence Bates as as her employer. I thought she was absolutely hilarious. And you know I'm a big soaps and serials fan and 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 also a big Batman fan. And I saw a few people that I was quite familiar with. Um, Judith Anderson, who became, I believe, Dame Judith Anderson. She was in Santa Barbara. I mean, how yeah. did these people in the 1980s end up in soap operas? I don't... I, I don't really, but a lot of them did actually. And then George Sanders, I know, I knew from Batman and some other films I saw him in. So I just thought the whole thing was a bit odd when I saw the two of them, but it was still pretty entertaining. And what did you think about Joan in this film? Well, Lawrence was great. Yeah. So I thought uh, Joan had a beautiful presence. She was uh, in the actual life um, on set as well as on the screen. She had this, great timid and fear which came across very well and unfortunately that was partially influenced by life we believe uh, olivia who could um be quite uh hard to work with when he wanted to be he was rather ticked off that his own wife that of the time vivian lee didn't get picked for the part and vivian oh. lee had actually uh, screen tested for her role 
Um, so he um, and he. So unfortunately, they never got on that that well. Even though he was the perfect charmer. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Because she went through. I was reading that Joan went through quite like quite a lot to get the role. It was like six months of meeting with people and. You know, um, I don't know if necessarily a lot of screen tests, but it was just, you know, being in, involved in it before she finally got the role. I mean, she was very young at the time. Yes, and Selznick um, wanted to repeat the publicity stunt he'd done with Gone with the Wind, where he created this myth that, like, hundreds of girls had been searched through in casting to find that perfect person for the role, and he wanted to create the same stunt for Rebecca. Uh, he'd... Um, because he was still high on the heels of uh, Gone with the Wind's uh, uh, amazing success. And then, as for the rest of his life, he'd be spending most of his career trying to repeat the same uh, um, success. Uh, and he did everything he could to promote Rebecca. I think he even had uh, a plane um, uh, uh, write the word Rebecca in the, in the sky, which... Um, you know, back before everybody was doing that for a marriage proposal. Yeah, that's well. Yeah, and I didn't. I did also read that. Uh, you know, even though he was wrapping up work on Gone with the Wind and had a lot going on, he decided to get really involved in editing and re-recording certain parts of dialogue. So I'm sure Hitch wouldn't have been particularly happy about that. Well, I think I'm not sure if it began then, but Hitchcock was known for um, creating fake um technical problems on set when producers visited so they'd get put off and go away <laughs> well i'm sure david probably wasn't put off but um uh yeah no i mean look i thought the film was uh, i'm actually really keen to i haven't seen suspicion which is the film that she did after uh, sorry joan did after this with hitch as well and the one that she did win the academy award yeah, with, for have you Karen seen that Grant. With with Karen, yeah, I haven't seen I haven't seen that, so I might try and track that down this week and actually watch that. So that's the perfect segue into why we chose these films this week because of the sisters, as we mentioned. So we thought it was particularly hilarious, Matt. Maybe you'll share the story of why we chose these films. Yeah, and uh, let's pray my uh, microphone doesn't break up on this uh, <laughs> juicy tidbit. Um, but yes, so Joan Fontaine, Olivia de Havilland, they were um, Hollywood sisters. Yeah. Uh, for various reasons, they didn't get on that well from early on. And basically from the 1940s, they were not really on speaking terms. Yeah. Both of them lived to incredibly ripe ages. Uh Joan Fontaine only uh, died a few years ago at about 96. Yes. Olivia yeah, de Havilland. Yeah, Olivia de Havilland is still alive <laughs> now. <Yep. laughs> Good uh, on about, her. Uh, we, we did we did double check on that just before we recorded this. Um would have <laughs> yeah. been embarrassing otherwise. Uh and she's the last person of that era alive or at uh, least of that stature, I believe. I was yeah, reading definitely that, that stature yeah. there there yeah. might be um like a I know Wikipedia has a list of the uh, people from that age that are still around, although it's probably a smaller list by the day. Um, yeah. uh, sorry, but, but it's true. Um, <laughs> but but she yes. Was born, um, the sisters were born in 1916 and 1917. I mean, that's just a, not long after the Titanic sank. I mean, you think about the era that they grew up, there was 18 months, they were 18 months apart in age. And speaking for many years is is um and and then in 1975 their mother died and that that really set them off 
they didn't really ever speak again after that, I believe. So, yeah, well, to, for two sisters to not be on speaking terms for 70 something years uh, <laughs> or, or almost completely non speaking terms, I mean, this has to be the ultimate catfight. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, who needs the bold and the beautiful? Yeah, that's. <laughs> And I think I was reading um, an interview with Olivia that was done when she was 100 and she's, what, 104 now or turning 104 or something like that, and she still was calling her a cow. So, you know, I, don't, I think it was just something that was never, that was never ever going to be, to be resters, but we thought that was sort of a very interesting story, but it was still great to see, to see both of those films. So we want to thank you for joining us um, tonight. We had a lot of fun. We're sorry about the technical difficulties. If it's a bit patchy in some parts, we apologise, but hopefully once the, the, uh, the lockdown is over for COVID, mate, we can actually record together and it'll make it a lot better. So, yes. Matt, just did you want to lead us out and just mention where people can find you? Yeah, so we have two video channels where you can see us currently. So we have our YouTube channel and our Vimeo channel. Now, so you can um, hit subscribe onto our channel, uh, hit the like button as well. We do love a good like. Uh, <laughs> put some comments in. Uh, you can press the bell on the subscription on YouTube as well so you can get notified of future episodes. And we also have our social media accounts on Twitter and Instagram. So we look forward to always giving you new updates on the show, maybe bits of a vintage goss here and there. Absolutely. We love all those backstage um, machinations. Uh, anything else that you want to say before we sign off tonight? Uh, no, um, I, I'm sure I'll come up with more channels to promote our work on later but I'll tell you in a future episode. Oh, fantastic. So everybody, our delightful duo next week is an Elizabeth Taylor double, Place in the Sun, uh, 1951, and Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, 1958. So that is our double for the, in the next few weeks when we release our new one. And so just to sign off, I'm Rachel. I'm Matthew. And we're watching good movies, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks, everybody, and take care. Good night. Good night.